Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host. Welcome to another awesome episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and we have a great episode for you this week as I talk with Clay Scroggins, lead pastor at North Point Community Church in Alpharetta, Georgia. Clay has served at North Point for many years in a variety of roles and has had firsthand experience in one of the most respected church leadership cultures in America. Clay works for Andy Stanley and has a keen awareness of what it means to lead when you're not the one with ultimate authority. His experiences led him to write a very practical and informative book on that very topic entitled How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. On this week's episode, Clay and I discuss how you can leverage your influence to provide leadership even when you lack authority. Clay shares from his years of ministry at North Point, highlighting ways to manage a healthy sense of ambition and keys to leading up and challenging well. This is a super informative episode for leaders at every level, so I invite you to join me in my conversation with Clay Scroggins. Clay, I just want to thank you for joining us here on the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome. Thanks, Jason. Uh, it is a Honestly, the, the the thrill is all mine, and and for real though, thank you for uh, thanks for creating resources for church leaders. Um, I, being a church leader, am a fan of your resources, so thank you. Awesome, brother! Thank you so much for that. Now, Clay, first, I need to tell you that although we've never met in person, I honestly feel like I know you because I listened to the Audible version of your latest book, "How to Lead When You're Not in Charge," ah, so and. We- lot of time together. Yeah, exactly. Because you read the book yourself, which I absolutely love because, yeah. you know, your heart, your personality just came out through your reading. That was just great stuff. Um, this Thanks. book is so solid, so good. And I really appreciate your recap of a few Seinfeld episodes in there as well. So that, that just added to it all. It's so fun. Uh, I mean, I, I did. So this is the first big project I've ever written. And I didn't know I don't, I don't, just talking about leadership, I felt like, gosh, do I need to be more mature? Do I need to be, do I need to act like I'm older than I am? <laughs> than I am. Uh, and unfortunately, a few trusted people were like, no, you need to be yourself. And so I tried to write as myself, obviously. And so many people have connected with so many different personal things. There's a, I'm a big hip hop rap fan. So a lot of people are like, man, I've never had so much 90s hip hop laced with leadership content. Very cool. And in the midst of all that fun stuff, uh, really solid, solid um, insights. Um, Really, literally, you know, as I was reading through, as I was listening, there were so many things, so many good things um, that that you just pulled out and said in in such kind of an appropriate way, because the, the content of this book, how to lead when you're not in charge, you know, it's, it's, Really, you're, you're digging into this idea of how can you influence um, your organization, your church or your organization, when you don't really have that authority to you know, call the shots. Yeah. Um, so very, very powerful. And, and as I was listening to it, I was thinking, this book is not only good for those people who don't have you know, the final authority in their church or their organization, but really for those that do. I was thinking they all need to read this book as well because there's so much practical insight that I think that when we're serving a role where we are the lead pastor or we are, you know, the head of an organization, 
even though maybe we haven't always been in that role, we kind of forget some of the things that led us to that play position. And this is just a good refresher to think about those leaders that God has entrusted to you and brought around you. So I think this book is so appropriate, really, not only for those who, like we said, don't have all of that authority, but for those that do. Yeah, I mean, that's cool of you to say. I, I, I don't feel near as confident saying that because I didn't, I really did not write it to senior leaders. And so, um, but I mean, I think, yeah, I, I think the, the principles of leadership work if you have authority or if you don't. And that, that's really the myth of the book is that if you, or the myth that I discovered really that prompted me to write this book was if you, if you don't have authority, it's all you have is to use influence. But too often we get passive and we throw our hands up and say, oh, well, I'm just going to wait until I'm in charge. You don't have to do that. Uh, but the truth is what I learned through this process is that the best leaders lead, they lead with influence even when they have authority. So yes, mm-hmm. I think um, I think it still works, but I I definitely did not have senior leaders in mind because I'm not I'm not I've got more bosses than I can count is the way it feels. <laughs> so I know cool. I know what it feels like to have to answer to somebody who's uh, making changes or calling the shots that you're having to shoot really. So right, exactly. Uh, now Clay, let, you are the lead pastor of North Point Community Church, right? Um, which pretty much everyone knows is the church that Andy Stanley founded, right? And, and I don't throw that out there to say, oh, yeah, you're Clay, but hey, that's Andy Stanley's church. Um, but that's the reality, right? You, I mean, you've come into this role as the lead pastor of the church that is a very well-known church, very well-known leader, you know, um, Andy Stanley. Um, can you kind of start by telling us a bit about your journey to becoming the lead pastor there at North Point? Yeah, so, I mean, my quick bio, I... Um Grew up in Alabama, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. They play football in Tuscaloosa. <laughs> uh, that is, they're quite proud of that. We are quite, quite proud of that. But I moved to Atlanta in 1998 to go to Georgia Tech, which is a predominantly engineering school. And I was majoring in engineering. And somebody told me about North Point, and I started going. Um, I, I already, ha- I grew up in a Christian home, and I, I had a faith at that point. But it, North Point shattered every category for me. I mean, it was the first church that I'd ever been to that was. Um, that where, where the, the preaching was great, but it was also a really well-run organization. And there's a lot of places, I don't know, a lot of times you find churches that are really well-run where it, there's not always a strong communicator, teacher, preacher. And then a lot of times there's great preaching, but the organization is somewhat of a mess. And uh, Andy, is he's a pretty remarkable uh, leader uh, beyond his ability to communicate. He's a great preacher, but he's really a great, organizational leader, I really believe he would be leading, he would be leading an organization no matter what he did. But yeah, so I started volunteering there and I was a high school, I was actually a high school volunteer. And my hope was to graduate the same time my high school students were graduating. Then I was going to move to Dallas, Texas, which I did eventually do to go to Dallas seminary, but I failed physics two twice Ugh. and it shattered, it rocked my world. Cause I had never, I mean, really it was the first academic collapse I had really ever had. But um, that's another story for another day. But I went to seminary, Dallas Seminary, met my wife out there. She's a Texan. Uh, God has blessed Texas, Jason. I don't know if you know this or not, but it's (laughs) true. Um, But we spent a couple years in Dallas and then uh, got married and we moved 
uh, it was back to Atlanta for me. It was not back to Atlanta for her. But um, and I started I, I worked in student ministry and uh, then became a campus pastor of one of our other campuses when I was uh, about 30 years old. And then about two, almost three years ago now, I took the job as the lead pastor or campus pastor. Uh, we use lead pastor on Sundays because people in our community understand that more. Uh, campus pastor, unchurched people confuse that with uh, what's your campus? Are you like in education? Is it like right. a university campus? Or um, anyway, so uh, but yeah, we have six Atlanta area churches, and I'm I'm. We, so I'm in Alpharetta, which is our original location and was our broadcast location for the longest time. But now uh, Andy is primarily broadcasting out of Buckhead. So it's really not the mothership at all, but um, it's just one of our other campuses. But yes, there's a management team that Andy has that uh, that's really who I work for. I don't work directly for Andy, um, though I'm in, I'm in meetings with him every week. But um, I, I really do have probably... I mean, one clear boss, but probably five or six bosses. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned in the book is really that everybody answers to somebody. You know, right. really, no matter what role you're in, even even those who are, you know, the the lead directional pastor of, yes. of a church, you still have a church board, or, you know, or you have some elders, you, you know, everyone's answering to somebody. So talk a little bit about kind of how we need to be thinking, especially yep. in ministry, you know, keeping that in mind that we all are, are kind of... Answering to somebody. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of times um, when people hear this title of this book, they go, oh, I see. You're going to talk about how God's ultimately in charge. And although I do believe that, that's not really what this book is about necessarily. I mean, I believe that all authority is ordained by God. Everybody's put in the position they're in for a reason. And all of us work better under authority. I mean, everyone ultimately was meant, was designed to lead best under authority. But really where, I, where I'm coming at it from is my own career, it really dismantled this myth that I, I just kept thinking the more I would get a promotion or the more authority I would get, I thought leadership was going to get easier, but it got harder. I thought once you got more authority, you could just call the shots. You just tell everybody what to do. You made the decisions and th thus you were leading and um, – the higher up I got, the harder it was and the lower I felt, honestly, because I felt discouraged. I felt like, gosh, this isn't going like I thought. I thought this was going to be easier. Um, I joked with uh, – I've gotten to be um, good friends with a guy in Atlanta named Frank Blake who was uh, – Frank just turned 70. And he's the former CEO of the Home Depot. When he became CEO of Home Depot, Home Depot had – uh, 350,000 employees and we're about $83 billion in revenue. Wow. So wow. significant corporation. And I said, and, and it, Frank's a fascinating, he has a fascinating career because he was never, he, he had never been a senior leader until he became CEO of Home Depot. And so I said, so Frank, I assume once you got in, once you got to be in charge, all the leadership stuff just started clicking. And I, obviously I was kind of joking, you know, and he said, you know, um, when I became CEO of Home Depot, I felt like I had more bosses than I had ever had before because all of a sudden every customer of Home Depot felt like a boss to me mm. because we were ultimately there to serve them. And if they didn't like what we were doing, I needed to answer that or else it wasn't going to go well. So, yeah, I think that's the myth is that 
oh, well, the more, you know, because I would just imagine, Jason, there's a lot of people today going, you know, I'm a student pastor. And once I become the family ministry director, then I'll be able to do what I think we need to do. Or I'm the groups guy or I'm the I, I run our children's ministry or I'm, I am the church administrator. And once I get to be a senior leader, then I'll be able to call the shots. But it just doesn't work that way, that there always is someone you have to answer to. And what I have found is that your boss's job is probably harder than your job. And the reason why I know that is because my job today is harder than it was when it, when I was a student pastor. But I used to think it was easier. I used to think, well, gosh, you know, because I, I'm the one who has to make the decisions about the budget. And so when I was a student pastor, they would hand me a budget. And I used to think, well, I want to be the guy who gets to set the budget, not has to uh, 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 live by the budget. But it's it's way harder right now because we're in budgeting season right now. So I'm I'm having to have hard conversations with all of our leaders that I love and believe in and tell them that I only believe in them about 90% of what they're asking for. <laughs> so that's, a, it's <laughs> just as, um, yeah, it's just a lot. It's just a myth. It's a myth that the more authority you get, the more of a leader you are, because we all know people that have the seat, they, they have the senior leader title. They've got the corner office, they've got the parking spot, but it doesn't mean they're leading. Right. And just because you don't have those things doesn't mean you aren't leading. That leading ultimately is all about influence. If you were to slice leadership open, it would it's like one of those donuts that has all the filling in it. It would ooze influence because that's the essence of leadership. That's solid. Now, you write in your book a lot about identity yeah. and, and how identity is very, very important in understanding um, you know, influence and how we can lead when we're not in charge. Can you talk a little bit about why identity is so core in helping us to really lead the way that God designed us to lead? Sure. Um, I, I, if it's okay, I'll use a current um, illustration. I mean, this is like as of yesterday. Um, so our church is going through a significant, I call it a digital disruption. Every industry is. I mean, but, you know, the banking industry, people are banking online. They're closing brick and mortar stores. Amazon has wrecked the retail industry, uh, even the medical industry is changing because of people's ability to go to doctor's appointments online. I mean, uh, you know, my boss the other day was telling me about his, his daughter swiped the side of her CRV, the side view mirror. And so of course he orders the part on Amazon. It's delivered in two days. And then he's YouTubing how to install a side view mirror on a CRV. Everybody's done that. And he finished it in 12 minutes. Well, there's some auto parts store staring at a shelf full of side view mirrors going, what's happened to our business? And there's some mechanic looking at his month going, what's going on? Our, our business has been cut in half. And the same thing is happening in our church. People are attending church differently. Uh, we are, our messages are so available. Our whole full service is available on demand whenever people want it. And they can watch it in their jammies. They can watch it sitting wherever they want. They can sit on the beach and watch it. And though it's not, uh, if attending is hopefully a 9 out of 10, our, our online product is pretty solid. And I think people would say it's about a 7 out of 10, which is good enough. So we're trying to figure that out right now. Well, I, um, I have a lot of thoughts about it. I wrote my – I did a doctorate at Dallas Seminary a couple of years ago. My dissertation was on online church. And I have a – I have a lot of opinions about it and not everybody in our organization shares those opinions. And so I'm constantly trying to figure out how do I lead 
up and how do I lead peers of mine to move our organization in the direction that we need to move it and that I think we need to move it. And if I don't have a core identity that is deeply rooted in who God says that I am, I'm going to wake up every day feeling discouraged and feeling like a failure and feeling like this is too hard because it is hard. I mean, leading change is really difficult to do. And if I got to get my strokes on feel goods and attaboys, uh, it's, you just, you can't lead well that way. So as I started digging into this content, I just started realizing, man, if identity is anything, it's everything. I mean, if, if identity is somewhat important at all, it, it might be the most important part of you and I is how we see ourselves and how we think other people see us. And ultimately the best way to see ourselves is to let what God says about us be what's most true about us. And so, you know, that was, it was tricky for me because that's not necessarily where I started out with this content, but I just started realizing I can't just try to give people, Hey, here's four things that I did. You ought to try doing it as well, because it just doesn't work that way. Leadership is not a list of do's and don'ts. Ultimately leadership is all about the leader. It's all about who you are, how you see yourself and what you believe about what other people see you. And that's ultimately what's going to determine the decisions that you and I make as leaders is our core identity. So yeah, I, I, I think it's pretty important. Yeah. Now when we, when we talk about identity, um, there are lots of things that kind of uh, pour into our lives that can kind of make us think about our identity differently. So there, there are people that are speaking to our lives. There, there might be some people that are critical. There might be some, some people just have differing opinions and so these different voices are coming into our lives around our identity. How do we not get caught up in, you know, what we're doing day to day, you know, you know, our vocation, get caught up in what other people are saying, but how do we practically get to the core of um, our true identity in God? That's a great question, Jason. And if I had, I mean, anyone who has a simple answer to that could make a whole lot of money. Um, there's, there hasn't been a lot. I haven't found a lot of great, clear content on identity. There's certainly been some books that have been shaping, but um, it's a difficult topic because it's squishy. It's not. It's hard to pin it to the wall, and it's so determined on each person. But I, I would just say this: most people are, most people lean one way or the other. If you think about a spectrum, most people are either too passive, and they let what other people say determine their identity and they're swayed back and forth like a leaf in the wind. And then there are some people that are too prideful and too self-determined and won't listen to other people. Mm. And I think there's a middle way. Buddhism talks about a middle way. And I really think it's a, I, I really would love us as Christians to grab that phrase and use it because I really think the way of Jesus is it's the middle way. It's, it's the third way. It's not dualistic. It's not zero or one. It's not binary. It's, it's, it's a, it's a new way. And I think the new way is I shouldn't discard my childhood. I shouldn't throw away what my dad did or didn't say to me. I should pay attention to that. I mean, counselors make millions of dollars based on what fathers didn't do. So I should pay attention to what my dad gave me or didn't give me. I should pay attention to what my boss thinks right now. I mean, I can't throw that away. However, to have the, I think, a, the, the most well-formed identity, I've got to let what God says be what's most true. So that doesn't mean that I discard everything, and it doesn't mean that, I'm, that I let it drive. 
but it does mean that I pay attention to where did I grow up? How did I grow up? What are the lenses that I see life through? What what are what was my what did my parents do or didn't do? What were the experiences in my background that shaped me? What are the things that people around me are saying right now? Those should inform they should be a part of our mix, but we can't let them be the loudest voice because the loudest voice for every single one of us has got to be what our father believes about us today. And I don't know if have you have you seen the Defiant Ones, the documentary on HBO? No, I haven't. It's, um, I mean, I can't, it's not family friendly. I can't recommend it, uh, because of, it's just, there's a lot of bad language in it. It's about Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine. Uh, Jimmy Iovine, people probably would know him from American Idol. He was one of the guest judges for a couple of seasons, but, um, the two of them partnered together on Dr. Dre's, uh, Beats, uh, product. And Jimmy Iovine's kind of this quintessential, super successful, uh, music producer. I mean, he's done Bob Dylan, Tom Petty. Uh, his first gig was with John Lennon. And he tells a story at the very beginning of the documentary about how he moved into the seat of being a sound engineer. And he was like 19 or 20. And the, the dude, the owner of the studio said, I need you to show up at on Sunday at like 9am. And his mom was mad because he was going to miss church. And uh, he gets in there and the guy said, do you think you have what it takes to mix today? And he was like, yeah. And he said, well, good, because John Lennon's coming in to record today. Oh, wow. That was his first big break. And he on the interview, it's fascinating to me because he says, he says, you know, I don't even know what gave me enough confidence to say that I could do it. He said, I guess I just had always believed what my dad had said ever since I was young. And he used to always tell me that the room was better when I walked in. Wow. And I just thought, what a powerful thing for a dad to pass along to a kid. And, and the truth is, whoever's listening today, you, we all have a heavenly father who believes that about us. He believes that the room is better because I'm in it today. And it's so easy to feel discouraged and to feel like a failure or to feel like I don't have enough. But I just think core to being a leader is believing that I have a father in heaven who believes that when I walk in the room, it gets better. And I just don't believe you can lead well with authority or without authority if you're not letting that be the loudest voice in your life today, for me as well. That's awesome. We talk about identity, and that kind of rolls into something else that you touch on in your book, and that is um, the idea of ambition. And, and how ambition can sometimes be distorted in our lives. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the, the value of ambition whenever we're leading, especially when we're leading when we don't have authority? Sure. So um, I, you know, I, I was trying to dig into Genesis just in how we were created. Um, and so I was looking back over the story of God giving us a mission in life. And in Genesis one twenty eight, he says, go be fruitful and multiply. And then secondly, he says, and go and subdue the earth. And I was talking with a friend about it one day and I, we were chatting about it. And I was like, that's so interesting. Go and subdue the earth. I wonder what that really means. And I go look at the uh, Hebrew, um, the original word, and it's spelled like the word kabosh. And I just thought, oh, my goodness, that is fascinating. 
that the word that God put in us is the word kabosh, because that's not what we think of when we think go and lead well. I mean, God's essentially telling telling humanity to go be fruitful and multiply and go and create great things. Go make something beautiful. Go give something space so that it can grow. Go do what a gardener does. A gardener, a gardener can't make something grow, but a gardener can control the elements, can harness the elements so that something will grow. And that's what God has put in every one of us, which was so affirming to me because I thought, yes, that that's in me to make progress. I mean, I, I feel like ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be a leader, not because I wanted to be a leader, but I wanted to create stuff. I wanted to make something better. I wanted something to grow. And I think it's the fingerprint of God in us, but somehow it's become distorted to where that kibosh that was put in us from the moment of creation has now become this, that the, the word that I, I referenced that Seinfeld episode where crazy Joe Davola leaves that voicemail on Jerry's on Jerry's answer. <laughs> and he says, uh, he says, Jerry, this is, this is Joe Davola. And then he starts, his speech starts stumbling and he goes, um, I have a hair on my tongue and he starts spitting. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I bet you put it there. Didn't you, Jerry? Which is hilarious that Jerry would put a hair on his tongue. But anyway, but he says, I heard you, I heard you put the kibosh on my deal with NBC. Well, I want to let you know, Jerry, that I, I can also kibosh and I'm going to put the kibosh on you. I've kiboshed before and I'll kibosh again. And then the episode begins. But when people think about kibosh, that's what we think of. We think of that that phrase, you know, putting the kibosh on something, which I think is really similar to what Jesus talked about in Mark 10, where he said, don't be like those leaders that lord their authority over others, but instead go lead differently. And he flips the paradigm and says, go be a servant. You know, the first will be last and the last will be first. And that's the way you should lead. So I think Jesus is trying to get us back in touch with the the kibosh that was in us from the beginning. So I think ambition, there's a lot of redemption that has to take place with ambition because ambition, just like that thing in us, I think it's become just, it's distorted that the ambition just naturally becomes selfish where we think I want it to be about me. I want to be in charge so that I can, so that I can have some command so that I can have power. But the truth is that God put it in us to not to be passive and give up, or to wait to be in charge, but to leverage the elements so that we can create something great. And part of the elements are the organization that you're in. Part of the elements are the budget that you have and the, and the boss that you have, as bad as you might think your boss is. But part of leadership is learning to leverage all of that like we leverage sunlight and water and, and fertilizer to make things grow. So I, I think um, – I don't know. I, I wrote about it because it's it's been confusing for me. As I mean, I, I feel like ambition gets this nasty label, but I think ambition is, I think it's normal. It's normal for us to feel it that God put it in us, but it's got to be redeemed. Right. That's that's good. Now, in talking to pastors and ministry leaders, what's some advice you might give when it comes to this idea of ambition for us to be sure that we're ambitious in you know, an yeah. honest and healthy way as opposed to, you know, some of the ambition that becomes yeah. kind of self-serving. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I think it's all about Jesus's summary of the law. I mean, it's everything can be summed up in that, that, Hey, even your ambition is meant to help you love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, body, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So 
it's got to be about other people. I mean, I think that's the biggest problem with, I mean, we all, Jason, you know, people that they want to be leaders because they want to, they want power, control, money, fame. All right. They, they want to be in charge. And that's not the point of leadership. The point of leadership is others focus. It's to help others. And that's not easy to do, but that's got to be core to what we actually want. So if our ambition is to create something great for the students we're serving or for the kids we're serving or for the adults that we're trying to help with and groups so that they can grow spiritually, that's got to be that's got to be central or your boss is going to think you're you're in it for yourself. And if your boss feels that way, it's going to be hard to build trust uh, if your boss feels like you're in it for you, for more money, for more attention, for more power, for more authority. So, yeah, I, I think we just have to constantly put ourselves under the examination of honestly of the Holy Spirit of saying, just like David did, going, God, search me, right. test right. me, see what's in me. And, and we've got to have faithful friends that can help us do that um, as well. That's good. I, I wanted to um, talk about this ambition. Let's, let's turn it just a little bit, Clay, if we could. Um, and, and let's speak to the person who is not an ultimate authority. So maybe, yep. you know, a staff pastor or, you know, in some, yep. some other role. And they have ambition, right? And it, it's healthy ambition, but they have ambition to see maybe they, they see some changes that need to take place in the church. You know, they, oh, yeah. they have these things and yet their supervisor, the lead pastor, whomever that is, the senior pastor, um, doesn't share that same ambition, let's say. Yep. Um, yep. I know in the book, one of the things that you share is that all leaders have the responsibility to challenge well. So yep. how can we, when we're not in that um, position where we have the authority to make some of those changes, how can we influence and kind of challenge up when we have that ambition driving us, but we don't see that same sort of ambition in those who are above us? Yeah, I mean, what you're saying, Jason, I have found is rampant in church world because, you know, you get a lot of people that come right out of seminary with a lot of energy and desire or, or come right out of the volunteer base of a church that want to make change. They want to see something grow. They want, they want to see progress. And there's a lot of pastors in the world, uh, who are pretty content with what's going on. And, and especially, you know, one, one of the things that's a challenge for me is I see a lot of people that get close to retirement. And I, I've, I think all of us have to be careful because it's in all of us to, you kind of see that finish line and you just, you just want to make it there. And I just wonder if there's a way to help organizations accelerate through the retirement of key leaders versus coasting. Mm. And I, I, you know, that's easy for me to say, cause I'm 37. It's much, it's going to be much harder for me to actually say, you know, what, what can I do to help with that? But it, it's just very easy to grow apathetic and content and comfortable where we are in the role we're in. And so when some, when some leader that is quote unquote below us 
comes in with a lot of energy, we're just like, yeah, you'll, you'll get over it in a couple of years, you know, like, <laughs> you'll, you'll give up on it uh, soon enough. Um, and that's frustrating. So yeah, to those people that are in that spot, um, I mean, there's a lot to say there. I, I, that really is what the whole book was meant to be a message to those people. But I, I would say, first of all, you got to love the person that you're working for. That's not easy to do, but you can't lead someone you don't love. And it might mean you need to start praying for your leader. You've got to actually want good things for them. I mean, I think that, you know, at the very, maybe the simplest definition of love is just, I want good things for this person. I I wish goodwill toward them. And if you don't feel that way toward your boss, you've got, you, you, you won't be able to affect change. So you've got to be able to learn to love your boss, which might, that's hard to do, especially if you feel like you've been taken advantage of, or you've been betrayed, or you've been looked over, passed over, haven't been given opportunities, but you, I think you've got to start there. And then you got to have the right posture. You got to have this, it's this odd dynamic between this insatiable desire for growth and change and progress. And then this steady, patient, content faithfulness in the role you're in. And it's got to be both of those, I think. I mean, that's at least what I'm finding is I, I can't come in and in three months get mad that nothing's changed. You know, my good friend Levi Lusco says we're the same people that burn our mouths on hot pockets. You know, like we're (laughs) not exactly good at figuring out God's timing because we pray on Monday and think it should be done on Thursday. So you got to have some sustenance. You've got to have some sustainability, some ability to to be faithful over a long period of time. I remember when I got in my job in my 20s and I, about a year in, I was like, this is exhausting. I mean, this is like, when do we get spring break? Like, when is summer coming, you know? And it's, I have just learned, you got to bring it every day. You've got to bring it every single day. But then you also have got to have this, this desire, this constant push without being annoying, without being like a nagging friend or a clanging symbol. So you've got to change up your approach. And if you haven't directly asked your boss, Hey, could we sit down and talk? Maybe that means to be your next step is, and then to be curious, you know, to start by saying, Hey, hey, what help me understand how, how, how did we get to where we are? Let me understand more. Let me learn more about where we are before I just start opening my mouth, trying to spout off all of this advice that I think I have to give. So, I mean, those are just a few things, but I really think learning to love your boss, uh, being faithful and content where you are, but also the insatiable appetite for progress is super important. And then just learning to not take the same approach, but to to be willing to try it in another way. And I've got loads of personal examples where I've done it well, and then loads of examples where I've unfortunately more examples where it hasn't gone so well. But the, the the key is, is that you, most people don't have it. That's the problem. Most people don't have the hard conversation, mm. but at some point you got to have the, I'm kind of nervous right now. And this guy could fire me moment, you know, right. the, the David with Saul throwing the spear at his head kind of moment um, where you go, Hey, I just got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm concerned that what we're doing is not working and I want to help. I want, I want things to get better, but I, that, that, that conversation has got to happen at some point. Yeah, that's, that's good. And one of the things I appreciate in the book was that as you're talking about this idea of challenging well, 
you talked um, quite a bit actually about um, your emotional state when you're doing that, right? Yeah. Like the importance yeah. of emotions. And, and that is something that I think we are challenged with because, yep. you know, we're in a situation where uh, we see things that um, in, in our opinion, in our belief that should be done in a certain way. Um, we don't have the authority right. to make that happen. So we're trying to have this conversation and, and, you know, then there's the opportunity for us to get defensive for, for the other to yep. get defensive. So talk a little bit about um, emotions and how to kind of navigate those emotions in the midst of this um, challenging well. Yeah, that's probably where I've had to grow the most because I am, I mean, by nature, I get real worked up. I've just, I have a lot of energy, I have a lot of passion. And so my, I can start raising my voice before I'm even worked up, you know, and I can start, I'll talk faster. I'll get louder thinking like, oh, that's going to, that's going to move the room. <laughs> it just turns people off is what I found. But um, there's got to be emotional poise. I mean, I think poise is such a, it's such a important attribute of great leaders, but particularly when you're not in charge, because you, you know, the key to difficult conversations is safety. Everybody's got, you know, your boss, your boss probably feels threatened or potentially feels threatened by you or maybe turned off by you or intimidated by you, which is crazy to think about because we're like, but she's the boss or he's the boss, but, but he or she is a human and he or she has got their own insecurities and, your energy or your ideas might be threatening. So, so you've just got to learn to declare your intentions right up front in a very calm way. So I try to, whenever I'm having a conversation with my boss, I try to at some point up front, remind him, Hey, I'm for you. I, I love this opportunity, this season of time where I'm getting to learn from you. And I really feel like part of my role is to figure out how to help you be successful and whatever I can do to do that. That's what I want to do. Um, in light of that, I had a couple questions about what we're working on, and I just wanted to get your opinion on it and get your feedback on some ideas that, that I had. You know, that if you can say it in a very calm, poised way, it just it helps because when when our blood pressure goes up, our ability to function goes down, mm. and so that's when we say stupid things. Is <laughs> when we're we were kind of nervous, or we were worked up, or we were driven by anger. So we, we can't neglect those feelings, but we can't give those feelings the driver's seat. You know, we've got to put them in their appropriate spot, which is in the passenger seat. And uh, I think that leads to a more effective, productive conversation. And uh, the, the most common feedback I get from any of this content is, well, bro, you have no clue how bad my boss is. <laughs> you know, like it sounds like you got a nice organization where, you know, things function well and you know, it's fairly healthy, but, uh, which is, I, I do think we have a pretty healthy organization, but it, I've, I've had bad bosses. I've had difficult bosses. Um, however, most people just go, you, you don't, you don't know, like you don't know how bad it is. I mean, my, my dude, my, my boss, my gal, my whoever is a, a moron or an imbecile, or they're just mean, or I'm not even sure he's a Christian or she knows Jesus or whatever it may be. And, uh, you know, and that that there's a lot of truth to that. I don't know your situation today, but I can tell you this, that God is not surprised by your bad boss. Mm. God has worked for generation and after generation through bad bosses. I mean, you think about all of the corrupt, evil kings that existed in Judah and in Israel, even into the Roman Empire, and God worked through all of them. He worked despite all of them through his people. And God can do that through you today as well, that he might have put you in the position you're in right now 
to be able to learn how to get stronger. And a lot of times we want to put the weights down because it's heavy and God's going, no, let, let, let's p- pick them up. I'll, I'm going to help you. I'm going to work with you. But this is where you're going to build your strength because that's we learn so much under bad leaders because we learn what we don't want to do when we get in charge. We learn what what not to do. Um, and that's where God builds that strength is under the resistance. So if you are in a position where you're not loving your boss today, I'm just telling you that God can still use you in the middle of whatever you're in. And he might just, the, the way he wants to use you might just be to set you up for whatever's coming up next, but don't give up. Don't, don't let go. Don't put the weights down because what you're doing today matters for your future. That's a good word, brother. Very encouraging, Clay. Thank you so much. Um, If our listeners want to learn more about your book, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, or if they just would like to get in touch with with you um, in in the ministry that you're doing there at North Point, what's the best way to to follow up with that? Well, I'm on social media, uh, at Clay Scroggins on Instagram and Twitter. Um, You can email me if you would like at clay.scroggins at northpoint.org. And my website is clayscroggins.com. And if you uh, are just interested in keeping keeping up. We're sending out a lot of free resources. I've done a lot of video interviews around this topic with a lot of really sharp, great leaders, and we're sending a lot of those out um, this fall. So if you go to that website, put your email in, um, you can stay in touch with some of those things that we're sending out. So uh, all that would be great. Awesome. That, that sounds like great resources that you're putting together there. And then How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, the book. It's available. It's published by Zondervan. It's available pretty much everywhere. So um, I really encourage you guys to check it out. Great stuff from Clay and uh, a really good read. And it's it's one of those things that's very, very informative, very insightful, very encouraging, practical, practical things, but written in such a uh, such an approachable manner. It's just it's a lot of fun read. It, to, to read actually. So I uh, encourage you guys to grab that. Clay, I just want to thank you again for taking the time out of your busy schedule yep. to be with us and share with our church leaders, listeners. Um, God bless you, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.